episode 035 of the Stone True North podcast. We've got a little bit of Black Crows going on here. You Shake like your it? money maker. I love this song. <laughs> this is a great lick right here. That's the waking step. Yeah. One of the guys in the Black Crows, there's these two brothers. Uh, one of them is married to Kurt Russell. Kurt Russell's kid. I like it. He's Kurt Russell. No, no, Kurt Russell's good. You lost Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, anyway, Black Crows are uh, Black Crows are great. I love their sound. So, episode zero through five, zero three five. We are talking about money. So that's why we teed up this Black Crow song, Shake Your Money Maker. Um, I've just finished reading a book called The Millionaire Next Door. Now, I've been hearing about this book for a long time, and I looked up to see when it was written, and I was shocked. Now, as I was reading the book, um, I'm like, man, these numbers sound old. You know the right the you, yeah, data. That was one of the first thing you told me. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it, and I'm like, well, then, then I just now looked up when it's written, and I was thinking it was written in 2010, mm-hmm. and I thought, well, maybe 2005. Turns out it was 95. Wow. So that really shocked me. But the millionaire next door, uh, a couple of guys wrote it. What are their names here? Uh, Thomas Stanley, Doctor Thomas Stanley, Doctor William Danko. Um. And I have had a couple people tell me about this book. Specifically, my son Caleb has mentioned it. I think Dave Ramsey's mentioned it a bunch of times. I've heard other people mention it. Um, and I thought, well, I'll dig into it. Uh, and I have a lot of great takeaways. It was a very, um, it was a very helpful book. Uh, and if you are, like, if you want to learn about what a, <clears throat> how a millionaire thinks, uh, how someone with wealth uh, processes and some and this mm-hmm. this book is all data. Uh, it is very much. It's a bunch of uh, these guys are they're um, professors. One's a mm-hmm. uh, business something rather business administration guy. Another guy is like an analyst of some sort, and they're and they're they're uh, you know they're analysts. And anyway, they go and 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 question. Or interview a study, five hundred millionaires. So first of all, they define a millionaire as someone with a net worth of one million dollars. So which is not the same thing. Not the same as thing as income. income. That's right. That was, so yeah. early on, they kind of go, "What does this mean?" So wealth, they define that as uh, net worth, and so you need know, you to take your assets and then your li- <clears throat> minus your liabilities. Essentially, that's your net worth, mm-hmm. very simply. So if you were to sell everything, pay off whatever debts, cash out all your bank accounts, and you got a pile of money, hopefully. Well, what size is the pile of money? And that's your net worth. Um, so uh, also, I saw some somebody said this the other day, and I agree with it, is that uh, the rich have money, the wealthy have time. And as I was reading this book, I thought about that. And I thought, you know, I think that's true. I think that wealthy folks uh, have figured out um, how to manage their time Mm -hmm. really well. Mm -hmm. And they use 
uh, various resources to protect their time. Mm-hmm. To have the kind of time with the people they love, doing the things they love doing, um, doing the things they're good at. Uh, and they're really good at saying no. They're really good at saying no to expensive, frivolous purchases, uh, which is surprising. Um, they're really good at saying no to people that have bad ideas for them, you know. Uh, anyway, they show a bunch of this in the book. So, yeah, yeah. Um, one of the uh, so initially they kind of they kind of do a bunch of stats, which is, and again, this is ninety five. Um, so they uh, figured out that out of all the households at the time of the study, um, only 3.5% of households fulfill the criteria of a millionaire uh, household. And they, you know, basically it's net worth a million dollars. 100 million households in the United States at that time and 3.5. What is that? 3.5% of 100 million. Uh, oh, I guess that's 3.5 million. <laughs> there you go. I was going to say know, that, but the, the I, wheels are turning real slow. Smoke going on over there. Like, when it comes to math sometimes. <laughs> yeah, sometimes I am not the. I wonder quickest. what. Yeah, this was almost 30 years ago This when this book came out. So mm-hmm. it'd be interesting to see how the stats may yeah. have changed or gotten worse or gotten better. Or, yeah. I don't know. Well, one of these guys went on to do a lot more studies. Um, I think he has, a, I think it's uh, William, Dr. William Danko. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The other fellow passed away right. in 2015. Yeah. But I think there's one called uh, Deca Millionaires, or there's one called The Millionaire Mind uh, that one or both of these guys uh, have written. Yeah. So, number of big takeaways from this. Um, but first of all, I want to preface our convo mm-hmm. by saying that I've noticed this is kind of like the hurdles of execution. Um, and I'm working, I wrote an essay the other day about it good going job. in the new book. Yeah. Point. Good job. Keep your eyes peeled for stuff out there on a website and YouTube and all that. But, um, I don't know if you've noticed this, but people, so there's these different like phases going from, Oh, that seems really important to, I'm doing it now, you know, for, for those two extremes. So the first extreme is, or the first end, the first, the beginning of, of, uh, a thing like this is kind of going, Oh, wow. Thanks for sharing that with me. I didn't know that I'm really shocked. I have this epiphany, you know, and you kind of go, Ooh, I better, I should probably lose weight or start exercising or smoke less or drink. Are you trying to tell or, someone? No, I'm not. All right. No, I, you know, <laughs> This is a, what do you call that, a uh, <laughs> intervention. Yeah, right. Um, but, you know, so the first hurdle is having your eyes opened right. to the truth. Right. Um, and usually that's where people stop. So you could think, you know, shoot, listening to a, uh, taking a class, you know, listening to a, a, a podcast, for example, you know, or reading a book. Uh, it's like where you go, oh, man, that's really important. Mm-hmm. Great. Got it. So you have the epiphany. But then the second hurdle, so, so the first hurdle is just not having the epiphany. Second hurdle is um, being able to take this thing you just learned about that is important and putting it in context of a bigger vision, being able to kind of put it in a, some, into some uh, 
long-term plan or vision and, and give it some context where you can say, oh, this is how this fits now into the rest of my life or the rest of my plan or some sort of bigger picture. Mm -hmm. uh, most folks, uh, present company included, struggle with that, I think, where they take this thing they learn and they go, now what do I do with it? That's most people. Yeah. And it, and it just kind of sits there and it's, you can see that's important. Mm -hmm. You've listened to somebody that's really passionate or convincing about it. And then, but now what? Mm -hmm. You know, uh, now inside of there, I would say most folks don't have a bigger plan. They don't actually have a uh, overarching goal for their life. Now, we learned about this somewhat from the book Grit and other things. Of course, our tooling is built all around this. We help folks create a pathway to their land of awesome. Um, but the point is, is that once you have this epiphany, you got to drop it into context, into some sort of bigger picture. Mm -hmm. Okay. Then you hit a third hurdle or a third kind of wall, if you will, uh, which is, I'm going to call it just framework or format where, uh, having a big plan is great, but if you don't have an, an operating system, some execution formula, or format um, where you say, all right, this is what my week's going to look like. This is how I'm going to execute. Mm -hmm. This is how I'm going to measure forward progress. This is how I'm going to check off what needs done, whether it's big stuff or little stuff. This is how I'm going to make sure I say no to stuff that's keeping me from doing these seven things I'm saying yes to. Uh, folks don't, uh, folks struggle with the framework. And the framework, you could say one example of a framework is your calendar. You know, that's a framework that you look at and put stuff on and see if you did it or a thing chirps and chimes or in my case i have a paper <laughs> calendar i love the uh you just hear whoosh, yeah whoosh, that's right whoosh, that's right no, the paper does not yell at me it is a one-way deal um and i love the two-day or the two-page full size it's a you know what is that eight and a half by eleven standard mm -hmm. page um and you open it up and there's a whole week there and lots of space to write around stuff and make notes and so forth so on scratch out things that you canceled or whatever right uh, and i found that for me that framework is a lot more uh, conceptually it works better for me because i'm looking at my whole week in one shot mm -hmm. and i'm understanding it when i look at a digital calendar you know we use whatever it's google calendar i don't even know what we it's use it's google is yeah. it google yeah <laughs> That's okay. I, yeah. I keep track yeah. of that. So, um, but it's the same thing, though. Yeah. It's a week I mean, view. I know we have something. It's I don't look view. at it. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I see the whole week at one point. Yeah. And well, it's not your week either. It's both of our weeks. It's our week. Yeah. Our weeks. Yeah. yeah. And there's and a lot of power so, in yeah, that, it, right? It's really cool, actually. A lot of people use these but, digital <laughs> calendars. It's great. I'm not bashing the digital calendar. I'm just yeah. saying that they're, uh, they're narrow. They work yeah. really good at a very specific thing. Mm -hmm. Which is reminding you, okay, it's 10 minutes before, an hour before, great. And then, you know, keeping, keep getting other people to email you, uh, you know, accept your invitation, all that stuff. That's all great. That, that, that helps a lot. But what it doesn't help is to kind of zoom out a little bit and go, hmm, what's my week look like? And all you see is these little, these little boxes and you're looking on your phone that's that big or even your, you know, iPad or your computer. And it's a little hard to get a overarching view of your week uh 
So that's why I like that two-page week at a glance um, combined with the digital stuff. So anyway, that's an example of a framework. Now, so that's the third hurdle folks hit when they kind of go, ooh, I should be doing more of that. Uh, and then the last hurdle is um, getting it done. It's actually the, the grit or the perseverance or the passion that keep coming back day after day after day, just putting in the miles, mm -hmm. you know, and that's kind of that fourth part. And that comes from, you know, work ethic. It comes from having a really good sense of that ultimate destination. You know, that's where the passion grows, your grit and that sort of thing. So those are the four hurdles. Now, the first hurdle we're going to talk about today, which is, hey, uh, you probably ought to get a hold of your finances, you know, and do something about it a little differently. Um, I had somebody give me a book. Uh, shout out to Troy Evans. Uh, Troy is a good buddy of mine from ages ago. Uh, we started having kids at the same time. We're our oldest are same age. We knew each other in California years ago in the early 90s. And he handed me a book. Uh, and he was he was probably one of the folks that really poked at me to get reading, to get learning about stuff. Um, and he was really inspiring in that way, very uh, very astute at reading stuff, stuff he didn't agree with, uh, stuff that he would pick and choose from. He was just a real good scholar in that way. So anyway, he handed me a book by a guy named George Classen called The Richest Man in Babylon. And it's a great, easy read. I'd highly suggest reading this book. It's a kind of a booklet, almost. Mm -hmm. It's like a 50-pager or something like that, maybe. Maybe maybe a little bigger than that. But um, And if I remember right, the context of it was this, uh, this guy, George Classen, who wrote a couple other books I really liked. One of them was called The 5,000-Year Leap. Where, that uh, that's a great yeah. one, especially if you're really fond of this great nation, the United States of America, he makes a case for uh, for uh, America being really special. And, and he just makes the case in the 5,000-year mm -hmm. leap. Mm -hmm. Anyway, George Klassen wrote this book called Richest Man in Bab Babylon. And it's kind of a fable, I guess, if I remember right. It's been a while since I read it. Um, but this, these, I think these tablets, I, I think this part is, base, is true, um, where these tablets were unearthed that were Babylonian tablets, and I think they were uh, um, interpreted or whatever you call that, you know, um, the research on it, they were mm -hmm. like, hey, here's, and it was these 10 rules of gold mm -hmm. that were written on this tablet. And it was, uh, you know, and the book is, oh, here, the, here are the 10 rules of gold. So what Klassen does is he kind of invents the story about the guy who wrote the tablets. Oh, that'd be interesting. It, it is. Yeah. And the guy was a chariot maker. Uh, now I think you made all this part up. Yeah, but uh, this is where the and at the end of the day, it's really simple. Um, where if you have ten pieces of gold, and I think maybe this is one of the rules, but this was my takeaway. And and at that point, this is like ninety two or three or four. I'm like, huh, I better get on this, you know. And mm -hmm. and and I started doing my finances really differently because of this, or at least began to do them differently. So if you have 10 pieces of gold, let's say that's your, you know, you could call it your wealth, but you could say that's your cash. Mm -hmm. Maybe that's your income. That's a better way to put it. Mm -hmm. um, 
in a year, let's say, uh, you live on seven. You just take seven and you name them. And, and, and what's his name? Uh, Dave Ramsey says this, you know, a budget is where you name every dollar. Right. Uh, so you take these seven, you say, all right, I'm living on these seven. And then piece of gold number eight you use to pay off debt. Now, you don't service the debt. You service the debt out of the seven. You don't service it with number eight. With number eight, you uh, reduce the principal. Uh, so you get out of debt with number eight. With uh, gold piece number nine, uh, you save it. So squirrel it away. Dave, Dave Ramsey calls that Murphy's insurance. Mm-hmm. You know, to just keep Murphy Murphy from messing with you. Whatever can go wrong will well, go wrong yeah. and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. And then gold piece number 10, you invest mm-hmm. in something, you know, make it grow, make it go to work for you. And it's super simple. But uh, anyway, I got started going down that journey um, from that book. Now, there's another book that I really love that we work with our clients on called Profit First. And Profit First is a way to implement a budget, not bookkeeping, a right, budget. Right. So we're naming the dollars as they come in the front door. We're funneling the dollars to buckets or envelopes or landing spots it's not a bookkeeping hack this is not setting up accounts in your ledger Uh, this is literally setting up repositories of money Mm -hmm. with names on them bank accounts envelopes whatever you call it Uh, profit first is amazing for that and i've seen it revolutionize a dozen businesses uh, personally that and and completely change them so anyway richest man in babylon uh and prof first are both really interesting excellent side note books to this millionaire next door now as i read this book uh, i gotta tell you i really had to fight to get through it um i knew it was important to read uh, i got a lot of tidbits out of it that were very helpful and it helped to kind of re, or I'm going to say fan the flames of my purpose uh, of being financially responsible. Yeah. Or, And I am bad at it. I am really, I remember, I remember, <laughs> dude, when we were young, I, you know, when you graduate, you get a little pile of money. People give you money, yeah. you know, yeah. right? And I'm like, oh, this is day. cool, man, because yeah. I never had any money. Oh, I was, well, you know, you, I didn't. You and me both, dude. Yeah. So I, I, got, I just remember it being like, well, this is in the 80s, right? 87 is when I graduated. When did you graduate? 85? 85. Yeah. So I recall having like, I don't know hundreds and hundreds of dollars uh and at that time there was more money in a pile than i'd ever had right you know um maybe it was a thousand bucks but i don't think so i think it was like 500 bucks or something and i went off to a uh bookstore not logos (laughs) it should have been oh ouch yeah that's okay it was berean i think and i bought like six or eight cassettes uh of some different bands and blue, I don't know, hundred dollars. Yeah, because that'd be like they're ten bucks each, twelve, fifteen bucks a piece, yeah, something like then. that. Sometimes ten bucks, yeah. And my mom was really mad at me. 
you know she's like you wasted that money you know like, what i i would buy weird stuff i not that that's bad to buy tapes but um but anyway i just i was terrible with finances you probably and didn't see buying music as wasting money no though. i didn't no i didn't see it that I, way. I never saw it that way yeah uh so get, it was an investment yeah right well, yeah, maybe a poor one, but it was. It felt like one. I thought of it that way. So uh, one of the things that I found was, and he makes a point in this book, was that uh, my wife is far more frugal than I am. Far more frugal. Um, I will buy things because I think it's going to help this or that or the other thing, and often I'm wrong. <laughs> and uh, I feel, no, I I feel like nothing. I feel yeah, there, like it's going to help with this or that. Yeah. There's a, he mentions in the book um, about couples. Mm -hmm. And if one person is a hyper consumerist, mm -hmm. is that what it was? Yeah, I think so. Is that the term? Yeah. That um, the couple could not be frugal as a couple. Yeah, it's tough. And, and that's, um, really, that's really where me and my wife are. I am not, I have slowly become somewhat frugal. I am not frugal. I am somewhat frugal i have i have uh frugal tendencies <laughs> on occasion <laughs> on occasion um my wife is far more uh frugal but it, you know for different reasons and so forth so right. that has been very helpful mm -hmm. um so that being said uh he's got these different rules now to start with he kind of lays out a formula, which I found very interesting. I oh. just did it this morning. I listened to him talk about it. And this morning I did the formula with tre uh, trepidation. I was going to say trepidation. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, and, you know, I came out fine. But what you want to do is you take your network, your, uh, sorry, this is how to kind of figure out if you're in a good in a healthy spot, which he calls a prodigious accumulator of wealth, PAWs, or if you're in an unhealthy spot, which he calls under accumulators of wealth, UAWs. And throughout the whole book, I was halfway through the book. I'm like, what the heck is PAW again? I yeah. could not I could yeah. not remember. So Paul. Yeah, PAW, UAW. So prodigious accumulator of wealth. And under accumulator of wealth. Mm -hmm. Now, so he defines a prodigious accumulator of wealth as, uh, and all of this is from a bunch of data. Mm -hmm. Like he studied all these millionaires and he's like, all right, here's the truth about them. He's not giving advice. This isn't like, here's what you ought to do. He just kind of says, this is how you stack up against these folks. So, you take your age, in my case, uh, 54. <laughs> hey, man, I'm, happy. I'm glad to be 54. You know, when I was 34, when I was 24, I was like, man, I'm just this young punk. Nobody, nobody cares what I think. I'm not sure what I'm thinking. <laughs> <laughs> well, there is that. <laughs> uh, and I was like, man, someday I want to be older and smarter and more respectable and stuff i just i didn't like being young i mean i 
I just didn't like being a moron. I think well, there's that. I didn't yeah. like. Inexperienced, <laughs> maybe. I don't know. Immature. Maybe those are better yeah, words. Yeah, there you go. Anyway. That's so funny. you take your you take your age and you multiply it times your pre-tax annual household income. Now, uh, so you might have to do a little figuring. Tanya and I have a number of different little avenues of income, but I had to do some kind of quick dancing to figure out a general amount. Mm-hmm. So you multiply your age times that, whatever that is. This is your whole household. Okay. So you come up with whatever that number is, and then you divide it by 10. And that gives you uh, this number. Now, um, if your number is under a million dollars, well, then you're an under-accumulator of wealth. Um, and if it's over a million dollars, you know, you're doing great. Now, uh, he's and he's got some... Because of the age thing, he's got an, he's got like a I don't know a chart of some sort to kind of help you figure this out. And I don't know exactly what you do with this answer, um, but uh, he's he's got a way to plug this in. So anyway, that was helpful. Uh, so that's in the network deal. Now he's got these seven denominators, common denominators of wealthy people. And then again, this is uh, from him studying these 500 different folks. He has a bunch of stories of different people that he interviewed. and So we've got these seven denominators of wealthy people. And he has the book broken up into these seven, I don't know, rules, truths. These are just com- well, common denominators. That's a better way to put it. Um, and in his study of all these folks, he goes, here's these seven things that are true of all of them at significant or fairly significant levels. Mm-hmm. Uh, the first one is uh, they live well below their means. Mm-hmm. So if you're in co- – and, and, and a lot of these folks, it was a massive – I'm only 75%, something like that. Mm-hmm. They had – again, these are 95 numbers. Um, they were below six figures, way below, like 50000 60000 70000 a month uh, or a year. A revenue, a, a paycheck. Many of them had uh, small businesses. Many of them also were extremely frugal. Uh, most of them had very traditional families, very traditional marriages, very traditional houses. They were not um, fancy. But anyway, they lived well below their means. Uh, they drove old cars. Um, the average, I think, was four years old. Uh, and and older out of the you know this number of folks there was like maybe it was less than 10 percent bought new cars less than 10 percent of millionaires buy new cars uh, uh, uh at least in this group um and they sure, weren't leasing them either I think. yeah they weren't leasing them some right. did i think it was around 10 percent were lower than i thought yeah but most of them were paying cash it was like 50 or 60 percent or something like that most of them were buying cars that were two years old, uh, or um, and many were two years old, and most of them are four years old or older. Mm-hmm. Um, so, also they talked about clothes and and watches. You know, for instance, they um, tend to buy. I don't think out of the group nobody had bought a watch over. I think it was over two hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. 
uh, they're all buying watches that were 30 bucks or 50 bucks or 100 bucks tops clothes as well shoes as well you know they they just they surveyed all those folks so they weren't eating caviar no and pate pate that was the other thing yes 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 <laughs> um they had this uh they invited a bunch of millionaires to this dinner to talk to them and the reason he started doing this and i think he started doing this in the 70s uh and a wealth management company hired them to study millionaires mm -hmm. because the wealth management company like and this is like a wall street type company or or, or you know some sort of big shot company in new mm -hmm. york they wanted to sell to them better they wanted to sell to millionaires better they wanted to kind of tailor their marketing and sales to millionaires and so they hired these guys to, to study millionaires mm -hmm. and, and talk about their find out about their habits and so they threw this dinner and at this dinner they had all this old wine and champagne and caviar and pate and all this other stuff and nobody ate it nobody would touch it like these guys that showed up um all of them had less than stellar clothes many of them had like kind of hand-me-down if they even had a suit on that was a hand-me-down or a kind of a you know jc penny suit they did a deal where, like, uh, out of actual millionaire self, uh, uh, wealth, um, uh, net worth millionaires, they were saying, here's the kind of cards they have, like charge cards. And um, they had, like, Sears cards. <laughs> you know, they didn't yeah. have, they didn't have, like, Neiman Marcus and stuff like that. They're like, yeah, whatever. Diners Club. Diners Club, all stuff. They're very, very frugal. They probably, instead of, like, the the caviar and the wine and give oh. them a pepsi blue ribbon oh yeah absolutely yeah, they, they were like they didn't have any uh, beer cores and the guys one of the guys was like hey you know you don't have any beer yeah you know it's like what kind do you like and like free yeah miller light <laughs> <laughs> so they're very frugal um and there's a lot of information about it but the takeaway is okay are you frugal do you live below your means and so to start off with well what are my means Mm -hmm. And then live below it. So mm -hmm. if it's 10 pieces of money, live on seven. Mm -hmm. All right. So the second rule or a second um, common denominator, uh, they use their time, energy, and money very efficiently. So they are constantly um, reviewing what they spend, uh, how much time they spend, and what they put their energy towards. And they're axing things that don't, tie into their long-term goals you and can't they, do number one if you don't do this mm -hmm, that's right you can't live below your means if you're yeah, not doing this. you got to look at it you yeah. got to constantly be looking at it so they had some stats the underachievers of wealth and they had a number of hours that they looked at their finances mm. in a strategic sense the uh, prodigious accumulators of wealth i think it was 10 hours a month they would spend going over their financial strategy, talking about their expenses, cutting expenses, figuring out their banking, stuff like that. Not paying bills, but but working on the big picture and thinking about where they were going to invest, looking at their investments, uh, measuring the results of various things. Uh, they didn't spend... Now, the under-accumulators of wealth, and they he talked about this one doctor, for instance, 
that guy, these folks, spend all that same amount of time figuring out the particulars about some cool thing they want to buy rather than the particulars of how they're going to save, invest uh, their money, mm-hmm. you know, grow it. So um, also they, uh, they don't go off and do worldwide vacations, foreign vacations. They're very, uh, they're very particular about how they spend their energy doing that, who they hang out with. They tend to hang out with people that also, uh, share their, share their, uh, you know, their viewpoints. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's the second one. Third one. That's really good. Financial independence, not wealth artifacts. That is, the, all these folks, uh, the, what's common among millionaires of net worth of a million or more, is they're very interested in being financially independent. Uh, they don't care what people think about them. And, and what he means by wealth artifacts are things like fancy houses, fancy cars, country club memberships, fancy clothes, fancy watches, uh fancy trips, uh, things like that. Uh, these folks, as a group, um, are very interested in saying, I just want to be financially independent. They called it the go-to-hell fund. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody in his group did. And this guy's like, what is that? And he's like, you know, I can tell my boss to go to hell and just be, be independent. Mm-hmm. You know, like, huh. And so, it's, you know, they wanted to get their money to a certain spot um, where they just didn't have to, they can do other things. Right. So, and even though they do that and do other things, they don't spend their money. Mm-hmm. They're very, very particular about it. Okay. So, financial independence, not wealth artifacts. Number four, um, they don't have, and this is a common truth, they don't have parental economic support. So they're not getting money from their folks. Almost to a person, millionaires are first generation. There are very few of the folks that have a million dollars in net worth. Very few of them got that from somebody else, from their parents Mm -hmm. or from a relative. Like 80-some percent were first generation. Yeah. It was very significant. Really high. Yeah. Yeah, 80%. And most of them mm. d- had never gone to private schools. Most of them are public schools. Most of them don't have college education, too. Most of them uh, had some tough luck story, you know, mm. that they that they fought through. Uh, so they're not giving their, getting their money from their parents. Uh, very, very few of them got money from the parents. The ones that did get money from their parents also would buy fancy things yeah. and they did they kind of didn't they didn't follow many of these rules mm-hmm. they were kind of outliers mm-hmm. not the they weren't the rule they were the exception mm-hmm. uh which is one of the interesting takeaways um one of the things that uh millionaires do as a group is um they nurture self-sufficient adult children uh, so they're trying to get them to learn stuff. There, now, there was a little side note here where uh, millionaires as a group are not good at 
getting their children to become, to get there the same way they did. Uh, they tend to give their kids their money um, and and get their kids to get these serious educations, you know, Ivy League or really expensive educations, whatever. Uh, and then the money, like the kids inherit some of the money or all the money, uh, but it ends up kind of changing the story. And typically the first generation millionaires aren't great at passing it on the way that they figured it out. You know, you'd almost have to keep it a secret. Well, and there were some, he, he, uh, he, he, uh, talked about some, and there was a fraction of the millionaires, but, um, where they said, Hey, we had no idea how much mom and dad were worth Mm -hmm. until we became the executors of the Mm -hmm. will. Now, another truth here is that, um, he suggests uh, having a third party be the executor of your mm-hmm. will, yeah. like a, an attorney or somebody else, because you know your kids can kind of get weird about that. So that's number five. Number six was uh, leveraging market opportunities. That is that was really different, where these guys and gals don't spend their money; they're very, very, very stingy, if you will, or frugal. The one place that they spend their money and buy premium products, if you will, is when it comes to advice. They spend top dollar for top talent in the legal area, in the advisor area. Uh, They pay uh, premium money for people that help them figure out what to do. Mm Mm-hmm. And I thought, well, that's a really cool plug for coaching right there Yeah. to, you know, pay good money to have somebody help you stay the course, Mm -hmm. design a course, stay the course, be accountable to execute the course. Uh, And that's a common factor Mm -hmm. in high performing people is they invest in people that are going to help them continue to perform. They don't invest in artifacts that make them look good as much so and then lastly uh choosing the right vocation so they all tend to pick areas that of work that they're really good at that they really love doing that they can really crush it in Mm -hmm. you know so they're 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 finding their sweet spot so to speak Uh, so uh now my takeaways i had a number of them here and i kind of jotted a bunch of them down and, you know, I'd suggest reading a book, but I would put it on one and a half speed if you're doing audio. I'd, I'd for sure read it in audio. You got to take it with a grain of salt because of the uh, the age yeah. of the book. Right. Uh, all the numbers and fa- facts and figures. For instance, he's, ra- he's talking about this big dummy doctor guy who buys, he's, he's on his sixth Porsche. Um, and he's like buying these brand new Porsches for $65,000. I'm like, uh, no, that's not where I don't think that I don't, I don't really know, but I'm pretty sure you ought to probably double that. Maybe even more for yeah. a new Porsche now. So first thing is that wealth, this takeaway, wealth does not equal income. Uh, income and wealth are not the same thing. Uh, and income is just your uh, the money that you make, right? 
earn, if you will, through various means, whether it's uh, investments, etc. And wealth is uh, the value of your stuff, mm -hmm. uh, including income, but they're not the same things. Uh, second big takeaway is just spend less than you make, period. End of story. Now, with Profit First that we do with businesses, that's essentially all we're doing is saying, hey, we got 100% revenue. Okay, what's your revenue? million dollars. Okay, great. Well, let's spend 900 Well, how are we going to do that? Well, we're going to peel off 10% of it and put it in this account and lock it up. And if you touch it, we're going to smack your fingers, you know, at, you know, metaphorically. Uh, so spend less than you have. And that way you have something left over and you can choose to use it various ways reinvest in the business take it to the family etc etc uh, another big takeaway is the book is full of lots of stats there are lots and lots of just measurements and it seemed to me not so much opinion maybe more just observations and uh, information about these folks mm -hmm. and that was very helpful as long as you read it with that in mind mm -hmm. um, you'll get a lot of good takeaways uh, feel free to, you know, I've heard somebody say once, uh, it's like eating a fish, you know, you, you eat the fish, you eat the good parts and you throw out the bones, like mm -hmm. you spit the bones out. There's stuff you don't, you know, a good fish, you know, it's hard to, uh, fillet a fish. <laughs> so you just spit the bones out. Anyway, another takeaway, self-control. Self-control is a big deal. Uh, all these folks that, uh, grow their wealth exhibit um significant self-control and that is a character quality that you just got to develop whether it's around money or hiring people or managing people uh self-control is a non-negotiable mm -hmm. it's an it's a deal killer if you don't have it uh, another big takeaway unity with spouse yeah uh, you've got to be on the same page if you both are bad at spending money you're in trouble. <laughs> you know what I mean? Uh, you've got to figure out ways to hack that. Now, this this can come down to, can come down to that framework. If you have mm -hmm. a good framework, yeah, it helps you and your spouse go, oh, we can't do that because our little pathway here, our rules to the game, if you will, won't allow us to. Uh, so also traditional family, like, you know, having a good marriage, a uh, healthy time and at home with dinner and the kids and turning off the TV and uh, and having you know really healthy relationship with your family and your kids and your wife et cetera et cetera and your husband um, is very valuable when it comes to developing wealth. Um, another big takeaway is you've got to put your money to work. Uh, it's important, I think, to stack up money. Uh, to sack up cash and savings and various various um, toolings, but you got to put your money to work, you know. And there are a lot of ways of doing that. Uh, but these folks would put their money to work in ways that they knew about, mm -hmm. ways that they had professional context, personal context, ways that they were able to be very uh, hands-on and make good decisions. They uh, to a person, the doctors that they were studying that were under accumulators of wealth were taking their money uh, 
and giving it to somebody on a whim to invest and then they would lose it all. Then what would happen is they would go into, I'm not giving anybody any money for any reason. And they were very, very under invested mm -hmm. in stocks or, or 401k, that sort of thing. Um, and they were doing it for an emotional reason. They just had no, so even though they had $800,000 income, yeah. you know, they had like a saving, they had, they didn't even have 200,000 saved, mm. you know, but they had all these cars and houses and boats, but no savings. I heard that quote a couple of weeks ago, don't invest in something you don't understand. Yeah. Uh, but I don't remember who said that. I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's kind of a old maxim that yeah. makes a ton of sense. Yeah. Um, and if you don't understand something, well, there's there's your problem. You know, I mean, you can figure get it out. Busy, yeah, right? Like dig into it and start see reading. Yeah. start learning. Right. To hang around some people who do understand it. Right. Um, another takeaway, and this is kind of one of my just reinforced some things that I think about, is budgeting versus bookkeeping. Mm -hmm. um, bookkeeping is historical. You're kind of coming along after the fact. And kind of say, almost like a detective, and going, hey, what happened here? Mm -hmm. And, well, we spent, this got spent, and that got spent, and this got, let's look at all these receipts. You know, look at all these debits to this account, and write them down in various ledgers. With the final result of, this is what's going to the tax man. Yeah, right. For Your the CPA, purpose of for the per paying that, taxes. That's what all the or, bookkeeping is for. Yep, or withholdings, or, 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 you know, whatever. Reports for your own. Reports, that's yeah. right. But, but budgeting is moving the dollars into various buckets naming the dollars before you spend them mm -hmm. so that's a big difference and it's subtle but it's very very major difference another big takeaway folks that figure out how to focus on a few things regardless of what those few things are get a lot more done mm -hmm. they're more productive they're uh they're more successful at whatever it is, whether it's, you know, so I'm doing a lot of, I don't know, study is a little strong, but I'm, I'm working on art. You know, I'm working on learning how to be a good artist. You know, it's something I've dabbled in for years, but I've never really taken it seriously. And now I'm trying to take it seriously. And mm -hmm. it's a lot of work. It is. And I'm super discouraged. I mean, I'm kind of <laughs> you like, just gotta keep plugging away. I got about it. ten minutes into it. Uh, I'm like, oh crap, this is going to be hard. This is a bad decision. This is going to take me five years. Longer. You know, no, this, <laughs> like, this, oh is, this is long. Yeah, and at my rate for the last few weeks, it's yeah. going to be fifty years. Yeah. I mean, I just okay. really slowed down, so I got to pick it back up. But the point is, is that you, I'm watching and learning from all these folks who are really, really good. Mm -hmm. On YouTube, especially, I've, I've, I'm tagging along on three or four different uh, channels mm -hmm. uh, that uh, have some good framework and so forth. And one of the big takeaways is they're constantly just focusing and focusing and focusing on a few things. So same thing with money, same thing with wealth. Um, I think another takeaway here is... Get good at ignoring what people think about you or what people may think about you. You know, the head trash around, mm -hmm. you know, others, quote unquote, yeah. and their, quote, opinions. Uh, and often I find that there was no opinion, A, 
and B, if there was an opinion, it doesn't matter. Like it has zero impact. The only impact it actually has is when you give it impact, you know, when you give it a voice, the other's opinion. So opinions like, oh, they're going to think highly of me if I have this car, or they're going to think highly of me if I have these clothes or, or attend this thing or have this kind of house or have this kind of stuff. Nobody cares. And the people That's that do the care, yeah, the reality is nobody cares. They're yeah. too busy, worried about themselves right. in their, their own, own head trash, yeah. right? Uh, yeah, Lucas Cole put something out once. Uh, shout out to okay. Lucas Cole. Right. Lucas Cole is uh, quite a cool guy, owner of Epiphio Studios in Cincinnati, and uh, would love to get him on here. Lucas, yeah, we got to get great. you on here, buddy. So uh, he put something out one time that he said, when I was in my 20s, I worried about, what everybody thought of me. When I was in my 40s, I stopped worrying about what everybody thought about me. When I was in my 60s, I realized they hadn't been thinking about me all along. Mm -hmm. You know, and it's kind of like, oh, shoot, mm -hmm. let's figure that out now. Yeah. So, so quit worrying what people think about you. The folks that accumulate wealth prodigiously don't give a rat's ass what anybody else thinks mm -hmm. about them. They just mm -hmm. don't. Uh, except for maybe their wife and kids. They think they think about and care a lot about what mm -hmm. their good friends and their wife and kids think about them, or their spouse and kids. Mm -hmm. You know, so very very interesting. Highly suggest reading this book, especially if you're a business owner, mm -hmm. uh, operator, leader of some sort. Uh, there's a lot of great takeaways. You'll have to do a little bit of uh, creative thinking to wind your way around some of the numbers. Mm -hmm. The numbers become mind numbing, but Push through it. You'll learn a bunch. Uh, I did. I'm glad I read it, and it's really helping to fan the flames of me doing a better job with all my budgeting stuff, both professionally and personally. Mm -hmm. And it's also helping me do a better job coaching my clients who are trying hard to grow their businesses for the sake of their families, for the sake of their communities. Uh, so I'd highly suggest this book that this thing goes in your arsenal of uh, uh, assets to get you smarter and healthier and keep you rocking down the road toward that land of awesome. So there we go. Good job. So uh, 035's in the can. Um, get a hold of us over here at Low Sun True North if you want a little help with your business. Uh, if you need some coaching, uh, we do that sort of thing. Uh, otherwise, we will see you on the next episode. Okay. Meanwhile, go out and dig the Black Crows. Have you, you ever have any of their albums? No. Oh, man. Uh, Remedy. Um, what's the one about the, uh, well, uh, Never mention the word forgiveness. Um, it's an addiction song. Mm -hmm. Anyway. Chris Robinson, I think, is one of the guys. Mm. I can't remember the other guy. Two brothers. And they have fights all the time. They, like, break <laughs> up. And they're, you know, just like brothers do. Some brothers. They just... Uh, they've had a bunch of spats over the years. That happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs>